My wife and I started dating my sophomore year of college, and I very quickly knew this was a serious thing, and so I wanted to take the steps to go meet with her father, okay? And so I didn't want her to know what was going on, uh, and so I started researching him on my own to try and get in touch with him because it would be, like, she would know what was going on if I was like, hey, can I get your dad's number? Like, that's even harder than a pickup line, right? Like, how do you ask for your dad's number without being weird? So um, I started looking him up online, and I start reading about him, and I'm realizing, oh my gosh, this is going to be so scary, because my father-in-law has a master's degree in Hebrew uh, and a, uh, a doctorate in education. And so he is now working as the pro, or at the time was working as a provost at a Bible college, and as a guy that wanted to go to seminary and wanted to go into ministry, I am freaking out, okay? I am going, what is what have I gotten myself into? But I email him. He was great. He invited me down to their house. They live about an hour from here outside of Houston. And so I drove down, still nervous, still scared, had no idea what it was going to be like. But I got there and his wife had made, my mother-in-law had made a wonderful lunch and we sat down and then we moved into this room, this beautiful room that they had at their house with these huge windows that just let in all this natural light. And so we got to sit down and start to have a conversation And as I sat in that room and chatted with them and got to talk with them about, this is what I see in your daughter, and this is what I really like about her, and this is what makes me want to spend more time with her, and these are my values in dating, we just got to be really honest. And in that environment, I was able to be me, and I wasn't shaking, and it was great. (laughs) Flash forward a couple months, they moved up to College Station, and so we got to spend a lot more time with them. And as I spent more time with my father-in-law, I realized uh, lighting was so important to him, that it wasn't just in that one moment, but light was a running theme in our relationship. And so we would go, and we would be hanging out and, and eating dinner with them, and then dinner would finish, and we would start talking, and he would get up and walk over to the light switch and dim the lights down. And I was going, what is going on? And so then we'd move to his man cave, and he had like things perfectly set up for this is exactly how we need to watch this movie, and this is the lighting scenario. And if we want to talk, he's going to get up and go slide the lights up a little bit. He had the lighting figured out perfect, and it was great. I mean, I really enjoyed it, but I noticed it because I hadn't really ever seen that in my life. And we were talking about it one day, and he told me, he said, lighting is so important. Lighting creates an atmosphere. Lighting creates an environment. It creates an ambiance. Light is key for us. As we step into this I am conversation, Jesus says, I am the light. And saying he is the light could not be more key for us as humans. Jesus is going to make this statement in John chapter 8. And throughout this book, God is going to talk about his son being the light to the world. And it's so key, it's so foundational, it's so pivotal to who we are and to our experience with the Lord. So to break this down, what we're going to see in this book is that the brilliance of Christ shines in the life that he brings, the God he reveals, and the sin he exposes. Christ is the light of the world because he shines in the life that he brings, the God he reveals, and the sin he exposes. And we see this. Very clearly in this first verse, we see that Christ shines in the life that he brings in the verse we already read. Look at John chapter 8 again. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Okay, what does that mean? He's going to break it down for you in this next sentence. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, what is Jesus saying? 
I'm the light of the world. That means that you have life in me, that I've brought life to you. No longer are you walking in a life of darkness, but you are now walking in life. See, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's going to tell us this, that we as humanity, humans from the moment they are conceived are born in their sin dead. For we are dead in our sins and trespasses. So we are living, walking dead, right? Walking in darkness. We are dead things. We are dead creatures. But Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in that darkness, but they now have light that comes from life. We have life now. And Christ is shining this light into this dark world in which we've been walking and living in. This should be no surprise to us. John set this up for us in chapter 1. If you look back in John chapter 1, this is what he says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And look in verse 4. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John, at the very beginning of his book, wants to lay this foundation to tell you light and life are connected. And they are connected through Jesus Christ, who has come to be the light of life for the world. Now, John uses this phrase in the beginning, and he uses it intentionally. He is calling us back to think about Genesis chapter 1, when God says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. But do you remember what God created first? He created light. Because in order for God to create life, in order for God to build this world, he first needed light. And so light and life throughout the entirety of Scripture have this connection. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's talking about the life that he brings to this dark world. The life that he brings to this dead and broken world. This life that we can now have in him. Now, this is difficult for me, this story of light. Because I have an issue with light. I don't always think about it well because the sun is my mortal enemy. Okay? As a redhead, we don't get along. Okay? We've been locked in this battle for my entire life. In sixth grade, I went to church camp for the first time on my own. And it was great But sixth grade Jared didn't think about applying sunscreen properly, and I got roasted the first day of camp. I mean, the worst sunburn, one of the worst sunburns I've ever had in my life. So I thought it would be cool to put all my t-shirts over my head and drape them over the back of my head to keep me from getting burned for the rest of the time. I was an awkward kid, okay? That's just the reality. That's who I am, okay? But that's how I dealt with that. And so my first foray into junior high life was with a shirt over my head because the sun had burned to me. So you understand, right, the history that the sun and I have. I got into high school, and we went to a church mission trip. We went down to Florida, but I'd broken my wrist a few weeks before. And so I was going, okay, this will be great. I don't have to deal with getting out in the water and reapplying sunscreen and stuff. I can just sit on the beach and sit under an umbrella, and I'll be fine. And so I did that. We had a good time. Until later in the day, I started feeling that sensation that I knew oh so well of, I'm getting sunburned. How is this happening? I've literally been under an umbrella this whole day. And it turned out the sun had been reflecting off of the water and off of the sand, and he was finding me, okay? He was hunting me down. 
and burning me wherever I could go, all right? Even last, so it's led to even this last weekend, we went to the Aggie baseball game when they played Alabama and it was starting to get hot. And so I am like lathering up on sunscreen and I hate that smell. And we get home and my wife was like, oh, that's great. It looks like you, you didn't get sunburned, which is awesome because you looked horrible with all those splotches and stuff like that. Like that's my life now, right? Of sunscreen and that terrible smell of trying to protect myself from my arch enemy. I'm pitching it to Marvel. I'm hoping it's going to be a movie, but we'll see. But I see light and I think of the sun and sometimes I have a bad perspective. But the reality is that we need the sun. The sun helps grass grow. It helps fruits and vegetables grow. And I may not eat them, but the food that I do eat eats them. (laughs) And so I need those things in order to have the burgers that I want, in order to eat the food that I want. And so in order for me to have life, I need the sun. And other people that are healthier than me that do eat those things, they need the sun because regardless of what I think about it, the sun brings life into this world. It brings life to all the things that we need in ways that are so complex and so important that we don't understand. The sun of God brings life into this world. And so whether you're here as a believer or a non-believer, that's the reality that God brings life to us and he's brought it to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's talking about the life that he brings to you. You who were lost in darkness, you who were dead in your sins now can have life because Jesus Christ has brought it to you. And so Jesus is not someone that you can just say, oh, that was a good person, right? You can't just say, oh, he had some good moral teachings. He's someone that you have to deal with because he says, I am the light of the world. I am the life in a dead world. We have to deal with that. We have to wrestle with that reality. Not only does he say, I'm the light that shines in the life that he brings, but he also says he is the light that shines in the God that he reveals. Look for me back in chapter 8. Back in chapter 8, we're going to look in verse 17. When Jesus makes this statement about the light of the world, the Pharisees freak out. In verse 13, they said, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus, as part of his answer, says this. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. What does Jesus say? He tells the Pharisees, I am who I say that I am. Well, Jesus, you just said that you were light. Like, why why is that a big deal? Why is his testimony a big deal? The Pharisees were freaking out because in saying that he is light, Jesus is communicating that he is God on earth. See, throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, God is going to use light as an imagery, not just of life, but also of himself, also of the presentation of himself into this world. So we talked about the Feast of Booths that we had just celebrated. The Pharisees had just finished celebrating with the Jews this reality that when they had been brought out of Egypt and they had come out of the Red Sea, they had been led through the desert in these booths by what? By a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And that God himself was the pillar of fire that led them through to safety That when they got to the mountain of God, that Moses himself went up on the mountain to meet with the Lord. And when Moses did so, he came down 
And he was so bright for meeting with the Lord that the people of Israel literally said, Moses, cover your face because it's blinding us. We can't look at you. You are so bright for meeting with the Lord. Throughout history, God has used light to communicate to his people. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, the Pharisees are freaking out. Not just because he's claiming to be life, but because he's claiming to be God. God come to earth. This is serious. And not just because of the Feast of Booths, but also because of the Feast of Dedication that's coming up. This is a depiction of what the temple might have looked like at that time. You notice the menorahs that are really tall. They're estimated about 70 feet in the temple square. Uh, Menorahs played a key role in what the temple looked like. But as I said... In the intertestamental period, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Greeks came in and they conquered Jerusalem. And when they did, they desecrated the temple. They went into the temple and they defiled it. And so there were these Jewish men called the Maccabees that led this revolt to try and regain Jewish freedom, to regain the Jewish independence, but specifically to regain the sanctity and dedication of the temple. And so they did. They were able to defeat the Greeks. They were able to get back into the temple, but there was a problem. They needed to consecrate the temple, but they only had one jar of oil. And it was going to take them a couple days. They didn't think they had enough oil to be able to make it through the whole process and the whole ceremony. And yet, when they lit the menorah, they lit these lights, the oil stayed, the oil lasted. And it went longer and longer than anyone thought that it would. And it gave them time to be able to make more oil. And so the the Pharisees are sitting here. They're about to celebrate this reality, celebrate this rededication in which light was so central to the purification and the ability of the Israelites to re-enter into a relationship with God, to re-enter into a meeting place with God. And Jesus says, I am the light. Do you see the connection This is about Jesus saying, I am God, and I am your connection to God. I am your entrance into a relationship with the Lord. This is huge. This is huge. We see this even more so in John chapter 9. In John 9, Jesus has been discussing with the Pharisees, and now he starts walking with his disciples, and he and his disciples pass a man who is blind from birth. And the disciples asked this question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And this is Jesus' answer. He said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So when Jesus says he is the light here, what is he saying? I am the light of day. I am the light of revealing God to the people because I am doing the works of God here. That was his purpose. That's why he was here on earth. And so the disciples are wondering what is happening with this blind man. And Jesus says, I am going to use this to achieve and accomplish my purpose. I'm going to reveal God to these people. And so that's what he's doing. Jesus is the light of the world because he is revealing God to these people. Now, this is my family. That's my wife, Abby, my oldest son, Owen, and our youngest son, Gabe. 
I think just normally, thankfully, Owen looks more like Abby than me, which is great for him. But pray for him because unfortunately, he's taken on so much of my personality. It's scary, okay? Um, This kid just does things that I go, oh my goodness. Um, We will go play Ultimate Frisbee with our youth, and all of my staff and friends get so excited when he comes and plays because they love to laugh at how much he runs like me. It's not because he runs fast, okay? So they love how much he runs like me. We had a bunch of leaders over at our house on Friday night, and we were playing catchphrase, and Owen really, really wanted to play catchphrase with us as a three-year-old who can't read. And so he would get the catchphrase thing, and he would make up his own words. So he would say, uh, he says, ho, 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 and we'd say, Santa Claus, and he'd go, yes, that's it. And he pointed like that, which evidently is something I do. I didn't know I did that, but my staff started laughing because Owen does so many things that are like me. He'll make faces and his tone of voice. It's crazy. Now, we didn't do that on purpose, right? We don't need more Jared in the world. We need less. And so like we did not try to have Owen be like me. It's just happened. And so that's just what it looks like when people are around him. If they know me, they see so much of me in him to the point that they can't see the physical resemblance to Abby. They just see me. But God himself intentionally sent his son. God the Father intentionally sent his son into this world so that when people looked at him, they would say, that is God. That was his purpose. It didn't happen by accident. God sent Jesus here intentionally. And I don't want you to miss how important that is. Because as people who are dead in our sins and trespasses, as people who are walking in darkness, the problem is that we couldn't understand God on our own. We couldn't get to God on our own. We didn't have that ability. And so even in sending Jesus to us, God is showing his goodness and his love because God is coming down to us. God is doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And he is making himself known to us. And so Jesus is the light of the world because he is the revelation of God himself to this world. He's bringing light to a darkness that could not know light on its own. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's the truth we have to wrestle with, that our God is this good, that he's done this thing, that we see in Jesus, this is good. Because the reality is the God that Jesus reveals isn't always the God that we experience. And sometimes circumstances get really hard for us, and we can't see the hand of the Lord being good, and we question and wonder what's happening. Our youngest son, Gabe, I don't know if you saw in that picture, uh, has to wear braces on his feet. Um, he's got a condition that doesn't allow him to move um, his feet below his knees. Um, And man, that's been hard. It's just been really hard, and it's made me ask a lot of questions and made our family ask a lot of questions about the Lord and what he's doing. And trying to reconcile that with this God that we believe in and this God that we see in Scripture can be really difficult in the midst of of trying in hard circumstances. But the reality is that this is the God that has been revealed to us. Regardless of whether it feels like that or we're experiencing that right now, this is who Jesus says that he is. This is the God that's been made known. And when Jesus says, I am the light, we have to wrestle with that truth. Even when the circumstances are hard. Even when the circumstances are tough. And so not just to see the life bringer, not just to see the God revealer, but he also 
is the light because he exposes sin. The brilliance of Jesus shines in the sin he exposes. This will be the last place I'd ask you to flip. But turn back to John chapter 3 with me. We're going to look in verse 19. Jesus is in the middle of a conversation with Nicodemus, who has come to him and asked him, what must he do to be saved? And in their discussion, Jesus is going to say this, starting in verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. What is Jesus saying here? That he comes as the light of the world to show sin and to expose sin in this world. Now, I I find it really interesting. He says the light has come into this world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We talked about us being dead in our sins and trespasses, but not just that. We are walking in darkness and we love it, right? This is what the Bible says. It says that we naturally love walking in our darkness. We love our sin. And without the light, we would not be able to see the darkness that we are walking in. We would not be able to see this darkness that we're clinging to. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. Jesus is going to clarify this even more in John chapter 12. He says, I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. See, he's not just trying to show you your sin to shame you. That's not why Christ is here. He shines his light to expose sin so that we may not remain in that darkness. When he shines his lights, it's hard. There's mornings I go to get Gabe up from bed, and Owen is tall enough now that he can flick on the light switches. And so if Owen is awake and I'm going to get Gabe up, Owen will run into his room behind me and turn the light on, which Gabe's freaking out about, right? He's a baby. He's still trying to wake up, and he's like, cover my eyes. What's going on, right? The light's too bright for me because I've been in this darkness for so long I've grown accustomed to it. And so it's difficult when the light gets turned on. So sometimes, even though it's difficult, Jesus has to shine that light into our life to expose us to sin because we were walking in this darkness. When Gabe got old enough to start eating food, he loved eating apples, like whole apples, which was crazy. So I would just like take a bite out of it and then hand it to him, and he would just start gnawing on it, which was weird. So I was like, oh, this is a great snack. Um, So fantastic parenting 101. I just was like, hey, here, have this in the living room. It doesn't matter. You can just take this wherever. My wife wisely was saying, that's probably not the best idea to just let him run around with an apple. And I was like, what bad could happen? So I would give it to him. A few months ago, I was picking up our house. I was trying to find something for uh, my son, Owen. And I was looking under the couch and I found an apple that Gabe hadn't quite finished, but he had thrown under the couch. And it was disgusting, okay? This thing had, like, molded and was, like, stuck to the floor, and there was fuzz growing all over it. Yeah, it was terrible, okay? Like, it is worse than what you were thinking, all right, right now. So I was going, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I went and got all of our cleaners that we had. I, like, got gloves because there's no way in the world I was touching that thing, like, I picked it up. I threw it away. I see, like, do we need to order hazmat suits? This thing is really, really bad. 
I cleaned that spot on the floor with every single thing that I had to clean it with, okay? Because this thing was disgusting. And under the couch, it had just decayed and become gross. But as soon as I pushed the couch back, I could see this thing's, oh, well, you got to get rid of it. And in the darkness of our hearts, sin can mold and fester and can decay. And it can cause so much death in your life. And Jesus comes to push the couch back, to shine a light on to that sin so that you can see it for what it really is. So it's no longer just that thing that you have that you don't tell anybody about because it's not really doing that much damage, but that the light of Christ would come in and show you, no, this thing is disgusting. It is eating you alive, and it wants to hide away here in the dark. It wants to hide away in your darkness because it wants to own you. It wants to destroy you, and I can't let that happen. I've come into the world as light so that whoever he believes may not remain in that darkness. Jesus shows the light to expose our sin for our good. So he shines on us in every place, in every spot, in hopes that we might be free. So we have to wrestle with that. If this thing is true, we have to wrestle with that because that means when God reveals sin to us, it's not because he hates us. It's not because he is trying to rub our noses in it. It means he wants us to be free. It means it's this morality that he calls us to, this morality that sometimes can be difficult for us or difficult for this world to understand is really for our benefit. It's really for our good. And that as Christ shines light onto sin and exposes us, our response, which is so naturally to run and hide, is actually hurting us even more. And if this is true, if God's claim is true, that Jesus is the light that exposes sin in your life, we have to wrestle with that. We have to wrestle with this reality. And so, as we wrestle with these ideas, we've got to ask ourselves these questions. If Christ is the life bringer, what life is lighting up my life? Maybe you're here and you're not a believer. If so, thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us, and we love that you're here. The reality of what God is saying is that this world is full of people who are dead and don't have the ability to bring themselves back to life. But God loved us so much that he would bring life to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here because you know Christians or you know somebody in this room or Maybe you're here because you're just trying to make somebody next to you happy. I I, I don't know why you came in in the first place, but what Jesus claims and what he says is that he is the only way to life. He's the only way. And so he is standing here shining onto you, and you've got to wrestle with this reality. And you, if you haven't, he calls you to confess that you need him, that you are broken and your heart is dark and he is the only one in which you can find life. And I can guarantee you that the person that brought you here, the person you're sitting next to would love to have a conversation with you about that. I can guarantee you that any of our pastors or our staff afterwards would love to have a conversation with you about it because if Christ is the light, you had to wrestle with where is your life coming from? Where are you finding life? But there are many of you in here who are believers You found the life that Christ offers, which is great. 
But the question that you have to wrestle with is what light are you being to the world? What life are you bringing to the world? Because God tells us in Matthew that we are lights of the world and we are to reflect this life that Christ has brought to us. Remember that the life that we have in Christ, we only have because he sacrificed it for us. We only have because Christ sacrificed his place in heaven to come be with us, his enemies at the time. He loved us, but we were his enemies. He loved us, but we were hard to love. He loved us, but he had to give up to be here for us. And so Christ sacrificed himself even to the point of death. And you are now light bringers. You are now life givers. Who are the enemies that you can give life to? Who are the people that will require you to step out of yourself and sacrifice in order to give up to? Maybe it's someone who politically is different than you. And you get the opportunity to speak life into them. You get the opportunity to sacrifice yourself, not by giving up your positions or giving up what you care about, but by loving them. Christ didn't give up his hold on truth to come be with us. But he did come and love us. Maybe for you, it's different people in our community that sometimes we drive past those housing places and we don't really look that way. We drive past the people and walk past the people in the parks. And we try to walk on the other side of the sidewalk because we get nervous and it's uncomfortable. And yet as a life bringer, you are called to bring life to all of these, which requires us to sacrifice. It requires us to get uncomfortable. It requires us to give up things. And so you have to wrestle with this truth. Christ is the bringer of light, and he's the bringer of life. And what life are you bringing? If you go, man, I don't know. Can I tell you, grace is partnerships. If you go to our website and look at who we're connected with, there's some opportunities to serve, some people groups that need life bringers. I would encourage you to go check it out. I would encourage you to invest and be a life bringer like Christ. We also have to wrestle with this idea that Christ is the God revealer. He's the one who has made God known. And so I don't know what your circumstances are, but maybe you're in a position Believer or unbeliever, where you're not quite sure God is who he said he is. Where your circumstances and the things that you're wrestling with are you making you question, does God really love me? Does God really care? Is God really there? Is God really good? And maybe if Christ is the light, you have to wrestle with this reality of what I'm experiencing right now in this world doesn't feel like the God who sent his son to come and know me, to come and love me. And you've been putting that off. You've been avoiding that. You've been putting that emotion and that frustration to the side. And the best thing that you can do if Christ is the light and he's shining the revelation of God's goodness into your life this morning is to take some time and wrestle with that. Get a pen and paper out and write down what the Lord has done in your life and write down what circumstances you're frustrated by and be honest with him. He's not afraid. And he will show you that he is good. And maybe for some of us, there's sin that God has exposed through Christ that you are continuing to hide. There's that thing, and you know what it is. You're worried about what people are going to think if you bring it to light. You're worried about letting it go because it just feels so good. It's a place of comfort for you. 
And in those circumstances and those struggles and the distance that sometimes you feel of God, you find that sin and you can cling to that. Even though it's not good, you cling to that. But it is eating you alive. It is decaying in the darkness of your heart. And for some of you, the best thing you can do in response to this is to tell someone. Find a trusted friend. Find one of our pastors, one of our staff, and say, there's this thing that I've been hiding, but Christ is bringing it into the light, and I have to participate in that. Or this sin will eat me alive. This is who Christ is. He is the light of the world. He is the life bringer. He is the God revealer. He is the sin exposer. And if that's true, since that's true, that light is shining into your life as well. But in the midst of all that, we get to celebrate. We are called into hard things, but we get to celebrate this goodness that God has sent Christ into this world and that the brilliance of Christ does shine in this life that he brings and the God he reveals and the sin he exposes. And one of the ways that we as a church get to celebrate is through communion. And so I'm going to ask our men to move to the back at this point because we're going to serve communion this morning, which is an ordinance that we at the church here celebrate to remember the time when Christ gave up his life for us, when Christ as the light of the world sacrificed and died for us. And so he tells us in this moment that we are to reflect on our own hearts. And the band's going to come up and we're going to take some time and I'm going to give you some time to reflect. Because we are called to have a right attitude as we step into communion, as we reflect on God's goodness to us. And so we're going to play in a second and you're going to have some opportunity to meet with the Lord to thank him for the life that he brings, to thank him for sending his son, and to confess sin. But when you're done with that, I would encourage you. Paul tells the Corinthians church that one of the issues that they're having is that they are worshiping, and specifically they are taking the Lord's Supper selfishly. That they are taking it only thinking about themselves. And so as we, Grace Bible Church, celebrate communion together this morning, I would encourage you to think past just yourself. Christ has died and gives his body for this body. And so we celebrate communion with one another. We celebrate the life that God has brought me, but also has brought in you. And so as we take communion this morning, after you have this time alone with the Lord, let's take communion together in a celebration of who Christ is and what he's done. Let's pray. time that we have to come and celebrate what you've done through your son Jesus Christ we pray over this morning we pray and ask that you would allow us to celebrate the life that you brought 
the way you've revealed yourself and that you would expose sin to us. We do this in remembrance of you. Amen. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after the supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Most holy God, we do remember your sacrifice to your son, Jesus Christ. We remember what you've done for us and we celebrate your goodness and your great graciousness and the light that you bring. We pray these things in your son's name by the spirit. Amen. We're going to worship now a song of celebration. Now that we've communed together, we're going to worship together one last time. And so if you'll stand with us.